What a great day to be in the house of the Lord, amen? Yeah. To rejoice as those who've placed our faith in the finished work of Christ on Calvary, Christ who died for our sins as our substitute, to remember that though He did die on that Friday, on Sunday morning the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty, for He had risen just as He said He would. Death in the grave could not hold our Savior. This truth and its significance for our faith as believers, as Christians, simply cannot be overstated. It simply cannot be overemphasized. As believers, we can't overstate or overemphasize the importance of the resurrection being an actual historical event. We're staking our eternal future on it. As well, for those yet to place their faith in Christ's finished work, they cannot overstate or overemphasize the resurrection not being historical, for they too are staking their eternal future on it. Everyone, all people everywhere, are resting their eternal destiny on being right about the resurrection. Christianity makes an astounding claim that one man... And all of human history died, but didn't stay dead. And we get that it's an astounding claim that takes faith, great faith, to believe in. The kind of faith we don't possess unless our Father gives it to us. In light of what we know from experience and history about human mortality, the, the, the declaration of a literal bodily resurrection from the dead is an absolutely incredible claim. If true, there is no more critical message for us to hear and to heed. Arthur Clarence Hall once wrote, The resurrection of Jesus changes the face of death for all His people. Death is no longer a prison, but a passage into God's presence. Easter says you can put truth in a grave, but it won't stay there. You can nail it to a cross, wrap it in winding sheets, and shut it up in a tomb, but it will rise. I want us to do our best this morning, beloved, to, our, to allow our minds, for us each to allow our minds to transport us back in time, back to that first Easter morning, and to try to put ourselves in the place of those dear friends and followers of Jesus, those disciples and dear loved ones who, because of the events of Friday, are now brokenhearted. They're beaten down. There was nothing celebrative about this day's dawning for them. All their hopes and dreams had been obliterated when their beloved Jesus died that cruel death on Calvary. And if you and I could possibly put ourselves in their place, it's not hard, I don't believe, for us to imagine that we would be, what we would be feeling is, is utter despair, bewilderment, the confusion that, that they were mired in, an intense, hopeless grief consuming us. What had distressed them so when Jesus had told them in Galilee not so long ago had come to fruition, and they were devastated. Of course, we can understand that they were deeply distressed by the death of their dear friend and teacher and, and Savior, the suffering He endured, the, the scorn and humiliation, the sheer cruelty of it all must have been overwhelming. But it's also easy to envision that part of their grief came from the way they had conducted themselves in the last few days. 
from the arrest of Jesus in the garden to the mockery of the trials, through the beatings and the ridicule heaped upon him to the walk up to Golgotha, through it all, their actions were marked by fear and betrayal, self-preservation and confusion. And not just Peter, though his denials are certainly prominent, the guilt of failing to stand by their Lord was felt by all of them. And if we put ourselves, if we put ourselves in their place, we, we can easily imagine that it would almost have been too much for them to bear. And, and yes, they were wondering what might happen next. What might happen to them next? What might they do next? And I'm sure they might have said something along the lines of, what else can go wrong? But there were a couple of faithful women who in the midst of all that grief and guilt set out to do something with their heartache. These were women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, who had loved and ministered to Jesus and been loved by and ministered to by Jesus over the last couple of years. And now on this solemn Sunday morning, with no real expectations about what was, with, about, what was about to occur, these women set out to do one final faithful act of kindness to him and what happened was nothing they could have possibly imagined we're going to read our, our passage today Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 through 8 would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, on this most special of days, we, we gather and we sing familiar songs and read familiar texts and hear perhaps familiar sermons. But I pray, Father, that uh, just by the, an act of our will that we would open our minds to, to be reminded of, of precious truths, to have fires that perhaps have waned, rekindled, to leave this place energized and encouraged by the hope we have in the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Again, as we try to put ourselves in the, in the shoes of these disciples, of these women, can, can you imagine the confusion they felt in those hours? Yanked as they were from, from the darkest despair in an instant to, to a radiant joy like they had never known. An earthquake, the huge stone that had sealed the tomb and, tomb and been guarded by soldiers rolled away. Guards passed out on the ground. The angel of the Lord saying that he's not here, he's risen. I know you're looking for the one who was crucified, but he's risen from the dead. And then Jesus was there. He, he was with them, truly risen from the dead. And their hearts must have been 
about to beat out of their chests as their pulses raced and their minds struggled to comprehend what it all meant. What did it all mean? What is the meaning of the stone rolled away? What does it mean for you and for me, both for eternity and for this day? I'd love to get myself out of the way this morning and just to allow the stone to preach itself to you. Because the stone shouts this marvelous message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it meant for those first disciples and what it means for every one of us who are gathered here this morning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was an absolutely, absolutely an historical event, but it was so much more than that. This is not a story that you can read or, or have read to you or, and not be affected by. The accounts of His resurrection and the appearances to the disciples after this horrific torture and death are not something you walk away from unchallenged and unchanged. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is at once the most significant and the most challenging event in all of human history. And it's all of that regardless of whether you believe it or not. It doesn't matter whether you're here this morning as a as sold-out follower of Christ, an agnostic, a professed atheist, or a backslidden believer who rarely darkens the door of this or any other church. It doesn't matter whether you're Methodist or Muslim, Pentecostal or Presbyterian, Church of Christ or Catholic. It doesn't matter whether you're young, old, rich, poor, high school, dropout, or doctor. Your station or situation in life simply do not matter when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Each of us faces the same challenge as we hear this message this morning. And this stone does have a clear and relevant message for all of us. And I urge you, I beseech you, beloved, to listen. First, it says that death is certain for us all. It's been said that there are two kinds of people in this world. Those who have died and those who will die. Solomon says, it's the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and the wicked. You and I, all of us, barring the return of Christ, are going to die. Just take a moment and let that sink in. You and I are going to die to die one morning the sun will come up and we won't see it birds will cheerfully greet the dawn and we won't hear them friends and family will gather and to mourn and celebrate our life and then go back to the church and eat ham and potato salad our job our favorite chair our spot on the team will be filled by someone else the rest of the world may pause to remember to reflect to give us a moment of silence if we're rich or we're famous But then it will simply carry on just as it did before we arrived. About this reality, Solomon wrote, No one who lived in the past is remembered anymore, and everyone yet to be born will be forgotten too. The writer of Hebrews put it this way in a verse with which we're all familiar. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Barring the return of Christ, we are all going to die. And I know some of you are thinking, lighten up, preacher. I mean, this is, this is such a depressing thought on, on a day we're supposed to be celebrating. And I hear that, I hear that, beloved. But listen, unless and until we swallow hard and embrace the certainty of our death, 
we will never be truly prepared to live for Christ. Just as our Lord and Savior faced His death on the cross, so you and I must face our death as well. Many people in our culture, uh, even those unaffiliated with any church, think that pretty much everyone goes to heaven when they die, where they just do the things they love to do only better and in heaven. They imagine weekend golfers shooting subpar rounds on celestial courses, every struggling artist becoming Pavarotti or Picasso or Beethoven or Adele, Adele, I guess it's pronounced, hunters and fishermen spending their days pursuing plentiful fish and game. That's wonderful thinking, but the problem with that kind of thinking is that it's not rooted in truth. The only reason to believe like that is because folks desperately want that fantasy to be true. But wanting something to be true does not make it true. There are religions whose believers hold to an empty dream that upon their demise, they'll go beyond this life and and find some meaning in whatever they believe is there, whether they believe in reincarnation because they just can't let go of this world or that they will rule new planets or merge into some kind of collective consciousness. When they come face to face with the idea that death ends everything, it's just more than their minds can take in and they find it easier to muster up faith that they might live again than the thought of Death being the end of all things. And the truth is that many of us have trouble accepting the fact that we're going to die. We may accept it intellectually. We've experienced the death of friends and and loved ones. Yet, Yet many of us have a hard time believing it's going to happen to us. And when we do come to comprehend the certainty of our death, we need a real answer. We need something outside of ourselves, something that the world might look upon as Well, it's foolish. Remember the stone. The stone is too significant to disregard. The stone sealing the entrance of the tomb undeniably says that what Jesus experienced was a very real death. The stone tells us that death is certain to come to us all as well. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, died, and we must also die. But the stone has more to say to us than that. It tells us that death was defeated by Christ. The truth we celebrate this morning and every Sunday is that the stone which was rolled across the mouth of the tomb, sealed and guarded by soldiers, did not stay in place. The Bible tells us that an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone away. Now what does that mean? Well, if the stone sealing the the tomb is the symbol of death's grip on Jesus and on us, then the stone rolled away is the symbol of the freedom Christ offers us, freedom He paid for with His life. The stone rolled away says that Jesus Christ defeated death. Acts 2.24 says, But God set Him free from death and raised Him to life. Death could not hold Him in its power. The stone rolled away preaches the reality that death could not hold Christ prisoner. It was no match for the author of life, the one who is eternal life, the word of life, the one who died and came to life again. Jesus Christ completely and unequivocally defeated death. R.C. Sproul writes, 
For the believer, death does not have the last word. Say, death does not have the last word. For the believer, death does not have the last word, for death has surrendered to the conquering power of the one who is resurrected as the firstborn of many brethren. The stone rolled away is the Father's vindication of His beloved Son. On that first Easter morning, God the Father, having accepted the finished work of God the Son on the cross of Calvary, released Him from the spiritual abandonment and the physical death He'd endured for us because of our sin, announcing to the world that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient, sufficient to pay the price of redemption for all who would believe. What is true about Jesus being resurrected is also true about all who place their faith in Him. Jesus died as our substitute, died in our place. He rose again as our representative with us. Jesus says to us, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone, who, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The significance of the stone rolled away is found in the words of the angel. He's not here. He's risen, just like he told you he would. The gospel message is that Jesus Christ lived, died, was buried, and rose again. Doubters have denied it. Philosophers have tried to explain it away, but the tomb is empty. He's alive. Had he not come out of the tomb that day, he would have been merely another in a long line of failed prophets, a fraud, false, a lunatic, and a liar. He could not have been our Savior. We would still be in our sins. There would be no strength for living now, no abundant life, no hope of a forever future in heaven. But on that first Easter morning, He did arise. God the Father looked down from heaven upon God the Son lying in that freshly cut tomb. This after He had turned His back on His Son as Christ bore the sins of all mankind. God had done nothing to, to prevent His Son's death. In fact, Scripture tells us that it was the will of the Father to crush Him. God the Father suffered the heartbreaking agony of seeing His only Son pay for our sins with His life. He endured it all and watched in silence as they laid his son in a borrowed tomb. But on that first Easter morning, God said, it's time. That's enough. And with power, sovereign and majestic, God the Father reached down and broke death's grip on God the Son. Now, we've all heard this story before. And we mostly understand the significance, I believe, of it. But before we go and eat our fine Easter dinner today, I want us to take a look at one more thing that the stone says to us. The stone tells us that death does not extinguish our hope. See, to, to us, death may be this great mystery, but it's no mystery to our Father in heaven. God understands it fully. You and I, we, we live our lives captive to time and space. That's our reality. The things that we can see, the things that we can experience. We see the birth of our children and we understand that, that we experienced that ourselves. We live our lives trying to do the right thing, be a good person, and then we begin to see our parents and our aunts and our uncles and our friends and our neighbors experience death, and we come to the realization that, that yes, our day's coming. We say we understand that this life is not all there is. 
but we can't see what it is that lies beyond. We can't touch it. We can't experience it now. Or can we? I was born and raised mostly in the rural south, pastored a couple of churches there as well. In the deep south, uh, visitation and memorial services in funeral homes are a huge part of the culture. Some of you have been there, you, don't, you know what I'm talking about. They become all too familiar places for pastors. I was there so many times, standing beside friends and, and family as they made their arrangements and in do it along lines of well-meaning friends and acquaintances during visiting, visit, visiting hours. And of course, I led the funeral services of, of their friends and family. But this time it was different. This time it was our turn. Our turn to identify our loved one. Our turn to sit in the plush, well-meaning, well-furnished meeting room and, and, and discuss how many death certificates we needed, what clothes we wanted her to wear, and finally which casket in which we wanted to bury her. It, it was our turn to hear folks speaking in hushed tones, offering their best effort at condolence. Our, our turn to sort through the arrangements and see who sent what. Our turn to see the lid of the coffin close on the last glimpse of the child who it seemed just a few years before had painted the back of our old garage bright pink to celebrate Easter Sunday. We watched our daughter Courtney struggle for, for most of her 30 years, prayed with her through so many ups and downs, and finally just in those last few months, seen her repent and turn back to the Lord. We'd seen her come to a new understanding of how much God loved her. We even have a, a video of that testimony made just a few weeks before she died. It was an unbearably difficult time. But the Lord was with us through it all, making His precious presence known in precious and powerful ways. From the moment we got the, the call and the, the shock of Courtney's death became reality to, to the arrangements no parent should ever have to make, to the finality of walking away from the grave, we clung to the precious truth that there is more to life than this world and more to death than what our eyes can see. Listen, believer, you and I, we're living our lives in this final age between the first and final appearance of our Lord, and, and we need eyes of faith to see that reality. Jesus was once here. His disciples got to see Him with their very own eyes. They walked with him down hot, dusty roads. They ate broiled fish he had prepared for them. They slept just as he did, right alongside him, wherever they could find a place to lay their head. The Apostle John speaks to this marvelous experience of, of walking and talking and eating with Jesus when he says, we've seen, we've heard, we've touched with our hands. Can you imagine? Jesus entered our physical world and to our great delight and benefit became bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. But then, after His work on earth was done, He ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. And we won't see Him again until we pass from this life or He returns. But He's not gone, beloved. 
Even though we can't see Him with our physical eyes, He's still here. He's not way up in heaven somewhere far removed from those for whom He died. He's not distant and detached from His children. Artists know that if they want to make something look farther away, they've got to paint it small and faded. When we make the mistake, beloved, of thinking Jesus is far away from us, He can seem to get smaller and almost disappear from our sight. But we need to remember the promise He made to His disciples and to us. I won't leave you like orphans. I will come back to you. In a little while, the people of this world won't be able to see me, but you will see me, and because I live, you will live. What this means is that this story isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's not something kind of, some kind of feel-good narrative recorded to make us just read and reflect upon. No, it's current. It's continuing. We're living it, and He's here with us right now today. Say He's here with us. And all of us who have a relationship with Christ, we we have this personal exodus story we can relate of how we rested under the protection of the the blood of the Lamb while judgment passed over us and, and landed on Him as He hung there on the cross. We passed through the Red Sea of His death. And because of the resurrection, we've entered a new life of freedom. We're in the final chapter, beloved, of the greatest love story ever told. Our eternal destiny is a new heaven and a new earth, a place where every tear will be wiped from our eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. That's all true, but it's also true that He's here with us right now. Just like he was with the Israelites in the wilderness when he traveled with them and filled the tabernacle with his presence. Only now he's with us in our own flesh and blood. Now now we have this intimate connection with him that can never be broken. For almost 2,000 years, pastors and preachers have declared he is risen and the church in response has thundered back. That joyous assurance comes from a profound knowledge that Jesus really did rise from the grave and He really is alive. And we can see Him with eyes of faith as impossible as that may seem. The world can't see Him. Those yet to believe can't see Him. But we who have trusted in Him as our Lord and Savior can see Him. Yet, yes, unclearly at times, but other times with a passion that takes our breath away. The call is for us to live with bold resurrection faith. Even when what's going on in the world is chaotic and seems to just contradict everything that we believe. You see, it's precisely at that point that we can fight the battle. We can open the Bible and with its wisdom and insight write a few pages in the story that is our life or someone else's life. We, we can call on a brother or sister and have a conversation about the Lord. We can speak the truth of the gospel into our own hearts and then give thanks as if it's really all true, because it is true. We can ask the Father to help us see the unseen things, and we can know that He will, because that's what He does as He renews us day by day. We do not lose heart, Paul writes, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We couldn't see the Lord Jesus with our physical eyes that sorrowful week that we buried our daughter Courtney or when we buried our son Chris seven years later. But he was there on both occasions preaching the gospel of the risen Lord into our broken hearts. We needed help. We needed reinforcements, and they came in the form of believing friends sent by the Lord. Andrea Thompson, who had lost, her child, lost a child herself. Virginia Amberson, who cleaned and cooked and stayed there for days. My great and dear friend David Putman, who stayed by my side constantly during some awful days. Friends in distant places who, who phoned. But those difficult days of grief taught us like never before just how much we need other believers in order to live this life of faith. Wave after wave of believing friends arrived on the scene and they brought with them food and fellowship, but more importantly, they brought with them their faith in Jesus and we were reminded that He had accomplished a great victory over death and the grave and it filled us with hope. They brought with them their conviction that Jesus trumps every loss. And we experienced the glorious and awesome truth of that message. Then again in the cemetery, as our daughter's precious body was about to be lowered into the ground, we read from 1 Corinthians 15, and the reality of the resurrection cut right through the humidity of that warm spring afternoon. The word spoke with power to all those who were gathered underneath that tent, shielding us from the bright sunshine. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trump will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body has put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The Lord preached His victory into our hearts as those words were read. And it wasn't just a dormant hope lying dead on the ground waiting for the last trump to sound as glorious as that thought is. For there was this intense, comforting joy that washed over us, pervaded over our pain, assuaging our grief. The crucified, resurrected Christ filled us with the reality of His victory over death. And it was like Easter morning in the empty tomb all over again. It really was. And if you've never experienced it, I know it might be hard for you to believe. And make no mistake about it, our grief was still there, still is there. But it has been graciously, so graciously washed over by a tender, a sweet, if tearful joy. But listen, what, what we experienced was more than a promise for the future. As blessed as that promise is, 
It was the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ breaking right into a beautiful spring afternoon in a central Alabama cemetery, giving us hope and life and the reason to go on living in the here and now. As believers who defeated death, we're those who live even through heartache and tragedy, the unshakable truth of the Christian life. It has to be something that's genuinely real, this resurrection faith, or it will not work on the worst days of our lives. And it is real. Dr. Jeffries writes, Easter is the only reason we have something to say when we look into the eyes of those who are experiencing the worst tragedies this life can offer. One glorious, magnificent day, Christ will burst into our world with a loud trumpet call and every eye on earth will see Him in all of His glory. Until then, we live by resurrection faith. No matter what comes our way, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our eyes on the unseen things. And we live every single day like it's Easter. Beloved, that's trusting in the sovereignty of God 101. Every, everything changed when Jesus brought, when God brought Jesus back to life. That single, profound, glorious act of divine power. 2,000 years ago reverberated and yet reverberates around the world with the great and good news that Jesus truly is the Son of God. The undisputed champion of the battle He waged on Golgotha and the resurrection proclaims that reality with majestic authority. But a glorious new reality burst upon creation and we're part of it right now even in the midst of our brokenness, even in the midst of our suffering. Jesus is here. He's pouring resurrection strength into our hearts. He's here right now in this church, standing amongst the lampstands like He was when John saw Him nearly 2,000 years ago. He's, he's here in this crazy old messed up world in which we live for now, taking territory from the enemy every single day and spreading to the ends of the earth the kingdom He purchased with His blood. Beloved, the story is written on the pages of every day we live. And we can see and we can hear the evidence all around us if we know where to look and we have ears to hear. Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Yeah. Beloved, are you doing that? Are you doing that? Are we really living each day for Him? We need to take a good look at our lives. And what better day to do that than Easter Sunday? We need to take an honest look and answer the question, Am I living for Christ every day? Examine your life. Keeping in mind what Jesus did for you on the cross. What does it mean that God loved you so much that He chose death for Himself and life for you? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ showed that God loved you so much that He was willing to, to give whatever it took to see that you could experience eternal life. And in light of that truth, how can we possibly give Him anything less than total commitment? How will we respond? 
Will we allow Christ to live in and through our lives? Will we seek after His kingdom and His righteousness above all else? Will we love Him more than we love ourselves and the things this whole world has to offer? Or are, beloved, are we just kidding ourselves and playing a game that will leave us wanting and ashamed when we come face to face with Jesus? We can't live like that. Beloved, as believers, we can't live like that and expect to be where we ought to be. Some of us have, have tried. And, and we're surprised when we, when we feel as if we have no real power or peace as a Christian. We're mystified that our joy is, is missing. We're frustrated when doubt darkens our faith. Some of us, beloved, some of us have persuaded ourselves that if we, we just don't sin too much or do the really bad things that everybody, everybody knows are evil, we're okay. But beloved, God didn't work like that. He wants us to lay down our lives. He wants our heart to be His home. He wants us to live out what we say we believe. He wants, us, he wants more than the leftovers of our time. He wants the whole of our lives. He didn't just want to be on the list of our life's priorities. He wants the place of preeminence in our lives. What we desperately require for that to happen is the resurrection power made possible by the stone rolled away. Jesus boldly proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. What He is saying, beloved, is that resurrection power centers in Him. Paul understood the significance of walking in that power and he made it clear to all of us when he said, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. Listen, the, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ must become the power that fuels our lives. It can only become so when we totally surrender to Him who died and came to life again. The stone truly speaks. It speaks to us of the certainty of death. It speaks of Christ's final victory over death. It speaks of our hope for the future, a hope that not even death can extinguish. And it speaks calling you and calling me to an undivided, unrivaled, unwavering devotion to the one who defeated death. The stone was rolled away so we could have the life of the risen Savior within us. He's risen. We serve a risen Savior. He's alive. He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for His children. And He will return one day to take us home to be with Him for all eternity. And until that day, He's calling you and He's calling me to live for Him. That is the message of the stone rolled away. Would you pray with me? Father, as we contemplate the cross and the empty tomb today, we acknowledge that from our perspective, knowing the end of the story, it's sometimes easy for us to gloss over these majestic truths, to forget when we are mired in tragedy or 
soaring in triumph. The power that we need to live a life that's pleasing to you, resurrection power that you've made available to us. We're thankful, Father, so thankful for your plan born before the foundation of the earth, for the sacrifice of your Son. Jesus, we're so amazed and overwhelmed by the grace of the gift of your death, your shed blood. Father, we revel, try to wrap our minds around the power that overcame death, brought your son from the tomb, and it is ours that is going to cause us to live again, to live for eternity. Father, help us to walk in these truths. May they strengthen us. May they empower us no matter what comes our way. May we, may we with the knowledge of these truths and, and, the, and, the, and just the reality of walking in them every day, be able to offer this kind of hope to those who have yet to believe. Father, glorify yourselves in and through our lives with the resurrection power you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.